Please be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain, whether here or on the live stream, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We continue our series here in this book by looking at verses 10 through 13 on the subject of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is God's Word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would pour out Your blessing upon us and give us understanding that we may be a people who are both eager and able to learn contentment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you want to be content? That's it's probably a good question to, to ponder before we dive into what learning contentment looks like. Do you even want it? Would you like to find some form of contentment in the midst of this chaotic and crazy world? I suspect that on some level, all of us do, if for no other reason than the marketers and advertisers play on this to no end. You uh, older uh, folks with me may remember those Ancient commercials, Calgon, take me away, you know, get me out of the chaos and into a place of contentment and peace. But we see it now, you know. Would you like to get away? There's Southwest is ready to help you find your contentment and peace somewhere. But if you want to be content, do you know where to look to find it? Is it as easy as having the Southwest app ding at you every once in a while? Like, where would you find contentment? Where would you even look? For some, it is escape. Let me just get away. Let me get out of this place and into another. For others, you might be thinking that if I only had just a little bit more every month, then I would be content. For some of you, it's finding some sort of victory or success over some challenge or obstacle that you're facing. If only I could get through this trial. For others of you, it is finding that relationship that you hope will bring you that satisfaction or seeing healing in that relationship that has brought you angst. If only this person and I could connect. 
And the challenge with each of these things and all of these particular efforts to find contentment, they all boil down to if only things were different. But that's not what contentment is at all. Contentment is something that is available to God's people no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter what circumstances they are in. And as challenging as it can be to find it sometimes, Paul, the apostle, who is imprisoned, isolated from his friends and fellowship, whose name is being slandered and smeared as, as, long as, as far as the, 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 his opponents can get to and as many ears will turn attention to them. This apostle, imprisoned and alone, tells this church in Philippi, who's going through their own trials and tribulations, that he has learned the secret of contentment. And it's not a secret He holds close. It's not a secret stock pick that he's going to to give you if you subscribe to his newsletter. It's not a secret that he keeps for himself and will only dealt out to those who have inner access to his special ring of friends. It is a secret that he shares with the church in Philippi, that he shares with us, that he announces for all who have ears to hear. He has found the secret to contentment and he's shared it with us. So what is it? We're going to look at that this morning in two ways. We're going to consider what contentment really is and then how we can learn it. What contentment really is and how we can learn it. So let's start there. What is contentment really? If it's not this, if only things were different way of thinking, what is? Is it? And and would we know it if we saw it? If you actually got contentment, would you even recognize it for what it is? All too often, we are taught about contentment in our culture and in our world in a completely backwards way. We read this verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we're like, aha, that's the secret. And so we put it on our our little eye glare patches and our sporting events and we write it on our cleats and we sign it at the bottom of our emails to difficult people. Like, Like contentment, it's something we do. I can do all the things. Contentment, we think, must be related to our response to things. That if I'm content, I'm just going to respond to things better, differently. I'm not going to get all worked up. Or, you know, when circumstances fall apart, I'm going to be that rock and, and, and solid ground that people can depend on. I'm going to do things differently and I'm going to do things better. And so we think that contentment looks a lot like stoicism. Don't let your feelings get all riled up when things go bad. Or we think that contentment looks a lot like athleticism. 
When the enemy scores an early goal on you, you just got to grit your teeth and try harder and you'll get there. That's not contentment. Contentment is not something you do. It's something you have. And so we think, well, then contentment must be related to our circumstances because I have a lot of those. And Paul here says, in every situation, I have contentment. I am content. And so we start to think about contentment in terms of what's going on in our lives, what we have, what we are experiencing, what we're enduring. And then, if only we can sort out our circumstances or rise above our circumstances or escape our circumstances, or conquer our circumstances, then we'll be content. Of course, circumstances have this nagging and frustrating way of absolutely turning the tables on you. You don't know when tragedy is going to come. And some of you know this all too well. We can't control our circumstances. We can't even predict them. And so sometimes we find ourselves just grumbling and complaining against them. And that's not contentment either. Or numbing ourselves against them. Drowning ourselves in more possessions or more addictions. But contentment is not something you do. And it's not something that's around you. Contentment is not just something you have. It is something you have in your inner spirit, in your soul. And so Paul says the secret isn't that I can do all the things or that in all the circumstances I find victory. It's the secret is Whatever it is that I need to do, wherever it is that I am, whatever it is that may befall me, I can do what is required of me through Christ. Through Him who strengthens me. This is the secret to contentment. This is the source of contentment. The Lord God Almighty Himself is the only source of true contentment in this world. How, how does that work? I mean, think about it this way. If contentment was, was centered on what you do, God can do all things. There is no power that can rise up against him and conquer him. There's nobody that can hold back his hand or question him or say, what is this that you have done? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everything obeys him. Everything conforms to His most holy will. If contentment was centered on our circumstances, the the world does not control the Lord God. The Lord God controls the world. And whatever befalls, befalls us, not not just by mere accident, but in accordance with His good and holy will 
There is not one atom, one molecule, one particle of this universe that does not conform to his plan or purpose. He controls circumstances. They do not control him. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of his kingly power and authority, he looks down in kindness and in mercy to us. A feeble and finite and frail people. And he says, I am for you. My strength I will give to you. My assurance I will bestow upon you. My presence will be with you. And for a people tossed into a world that defies explanation, that is afflicted with trials and tribulations and tragedies of every kind, when even our own flesh works against us and we find ourselves doing the very things we don't want to do and not doing the very things we know we ought to do, In the midst of all of that, the one who stands above all circumstances, who rules over all things, who can do all things, says, I am with you and I am for you in Christ. This is a glorious reality that transforms the way we look at everything. There is not a difficulty that has befallen you that is news to the Lord. It did not catch him by surprise. He didn't wake up to his news brief email this morning and go, oh no, I had no idea. He knew. And in the midst of that, He abounds to his people to strengthen them, to bind up the brokenhearted, to to bear up the weak, to give those who are full of fatigue and sorrow and grief wings as of eagles. So it's not the circumstances. It's not our doing. It's the reality that our God is with us that allows us to stand confidently no matter what may befall. Because if God is for us, who can be against? And if you are tempted to doubt the reality of this, take a look at the most dark and disastrous day in human history. And when you consider your own most dark and disastrous day, No doubt it weighs heavy on your soul. Maybe it was the diagnosis that you received. Maybe it was the loved one that you've lost. Maybe it was the child or the friend or the family member that just walked away from you and everyone and everything. And in all of human history, all of that 
sorrow and misery and destruction and sin and wickedness, all of that found a focal point at the crucifixion. When the Lord Jesus Christ, righteous and holy, guilty of no wickedness or sin, yet offered himself up and was crucified by the hands of wicked men and bore in his body our sin, our frailty, our rebellion, our sorrow, our grief, that he might put it to death. And he rose again from the dead that you and I might have newness of life. If he can turn the darkest day when mankind crucified the Son of God, if he can turn the darkest moment to the greatest good, how much more can his strength abound to you in your trials and bring you such a peace of soul that you can say, I have contentment from my God. There's an old pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It is one of the top five books I've ever read, and I highly recommend it to all of you defines contentment in this way and then spends the rest of his book working out what that means. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. And notice there, he doesn't fix our contentment on our circumstances, whether they're good or bad. doesn't fix our contentment on some outward thing we do. But our contentment is the fruit of our connection to our Heavenly Father. It is the fruit of knowing the source of all contentment, knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So what are the obstacles that hinder you from experiencing this contentment in this life? Perhaps you bear in your inner spirit great guilt at the things you have done and the things that you have left undone, and you can't fix it. And in those quiet moments, even when everything is going well, your thoughts turn towards these things and the destruction that it brought to relationships. To your reputation. To the Lord. And you begin to wonder, can I ever be free of this? Or do I have to bear this burden all my days? And Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of contentment, comes to you and reminds you, you can 
continue in this world with that quiet and gracious frame of spirit because I have borne that guilt for you. It's no longer yours to bear. No matter what the world may say, and no matter what consequences you may experience, your Father in heaven sees that guilt atoned for and welcomes you into his arms as a beloved son and daughter. Perhaps it's not the guilt. Perhaps you feel abandoned by the Lord. You have experienced something, some grief, some loss, some trial, some, some difficulty, some illness, and it's, it's made you wonder, has God forgotten me? Is he far off? Why would God, if he is kind and good and gracious, allow such a thing to happen to me? He must be against me. And that loss and that grief and that sorrow and that pain eats at you. And it never seems to let you go. And you don't hear the words of your Father in heaven saying, I am not against any of my children who are in Christ. I am for them, and I abound to them with strength and with love and with mercy and with help in their hour of need. But yes, in this broken and fallen and wicked world, you will endure much sorrow and much pain, but I am with you in it. My rod and my staff, they will guide and comfort you And I will even prepare a table before you in the presence of all those things that oppress you, that you might know my goodness and my kindness to you. There is in that realization a real contentment to know that in Christ, whatever may befall me is not an indication that my God is now full of hatred toward me. He abounds to me with love and kindness and grace, even in the midst of my greatest grief and sorrow and loss. Perhaps your circumstances aren't going the way you want and you are complaining to God about them, having forgotten that He hears you. And he responds with grace. And if he hasn't freed you from those circumstances just yet, it's not because his love for you is less. It's because his work in you and through you is not yet done. Or perhaps you compare yourselves to others' condition, forgetting that our Heavenly Father so abounds to you with love that Because one person experiences something differently than you do doesn't mean he loves them more or less, but he abounds to each of his children with the very love that he pours out upon his own son. For he clothes us in his righteousness and accepts us as precious for his sake. Maybe it's just the the rank uncertainty of this world and God comes to you and says, Whatever circumstance, whether plenty or want, whether abundance or need, I, am, I know what it's like to have little and much. And I, who own all the things, give you what you need 
not what you want. Because I know what's best for you for all eternity. And if you don't know what's coming around the corner, it's because you don't need to know it. What you need to know is me. Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Or more simply, it is a fruit of our connection to Christ. So how do you learn it? And, and that's an important question to ask because we live in a, a world that, that loves instant gratification. There was a time, if you can imagine, when to connect with someone, you had to, to approach this box-like device with some circle on it and run your finger around in circles for hours on end. And if you messed up, you had to start all over again. When now I can just say, Siri, call my wife, but don't actually... Call my wife right now. I used to have to go to a store and hope they had a box that had the software on it that I wanted and go back home and find time to install it and then debug it. And now I just click the button on my phone and in 30 seconds the app is downloaded and I'm up, up and running. Like we want it now. God bless Chick-fil-A. They don't make me wait too long. And can it be that we have become discontent with contentment because it is not something we get instantly. It is something we learn over time. Paul learned contentment. The apostle Paul He doesn't say, and I have contentment. He tells us twice, I had to learn it. When you think about his story, he's already shared some of it in this book, that he was a a Pharisee by training, blameless according to the account of men. There was not a man alive who could come and make accusation about how he was unrighteous. He was the best of the best. He knew his doctrine. His life was in order. He was so zealous for the Lord, he devoted himself to going about and persecuting those who would say anything different than what he had come to learn to be true. And when he read, you shall have no other gods before me, he said, Lord, I have no other gods before you. When he read, you should keep the Sabbath holy. Lord, I've kept the Sabbath holy. When he read, you should honor your father and mother. Lord, I've done all of that. You shall not uh, lie or steal. But when he got to that command, as he shares in Romans chapter 7, don't covet. That command that, that dispensed for, with all the outward doings, with all the theological knowledge that just cut straight to his heart. When he got to that command... He died because he realized I am a wicked and sinful man and I'm craving and striving and longing and trying to do and accomplish and earn. I'm never, ever 
just content. And the grace of the Lord Jesus comes to him and says, even you, who in your zeal killed my children, threw them in prison, persecuted my church, I can atone for your guilt too and turn you into a servant of my purposes. And in that, in his shipwrecks, in being stoned, in dealing with those who would slander his name and being imprisoned and cast aside and ignored and forgotten, the Apostle Paul learned contentment from Jesus. He learned how to face every kind of plenty and every kind of hunger because he experienced all kinds of plenty and all kinds of hunger and found that whether he had a lot or little, he always needed to turn back to the Lord. And if you would learn contentment, you have to also enlist in the school of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not one of those quick internet courses that you can take in a, a 30 seconds and have a degree from Jeff Ferguson University. It's a lifelong school that will take you through all kinds of ups and all kinds of downs. And in every moment, all along the way, you will be reminded again and again and again of God's fatherly disposition to his people. That he loves and cares for them as a, a glorious and kind father. And he will strengthen them and grow them up in Christ so that they too will learn contentment in every circumstance. Where have you been looking for contentment? And not finding it. Have you been looking at earthly things? Thinking if I just had a little bit more? Or are you looking with Christ-like eyes to that heavenly treasure being stored up for God's people? Are you living for something greater than the here and the now? Do you just want all of your circumstances to be peaceful? All of your children to do everything you say when you say it, exactly the way you say it, and, and no, no problems at work, and all the bills paid? Do you just want peaceful circumstances? Do you want peace in your soul? That only God himself can give. Are you living in the fear of man, always trying to order and structure your life based on what you think other people will say about it? Or do you rest in your God's fatherly care for you? Do you cling to your own doings, your own self-righteousness, your own wisdom, your own ability to rise above whatever it is? Or do you find in the grace of self-denial, turning from yourself to Jesus, the real strength and hope and life and peace 
and grace you need. You would learn contentment and roll in the school of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will teach you. So what is he teaching you now? Where would he turn your affections and attentions? What Paul tells us here is that when you begin to see how his affections and attentions are turned towards you, you'll find all the strength and all the contentment you need. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see you and your work and your grace to us in Christ, that we might find that strength, that we might have that contentment, that we might not be rocked about by every wind and wave, but might rest securely in you knowing that no matter how dark things may seem, our God is with us. We pray that you would do this for Jesus' sake. In his name, amen.